Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Howard Loring and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. Reversing Gravity, or The Dual Nature of Everything. The conspirators stood by an old weather-beaten bench placed under an anciently gnarled apple tree growing near a lazy country lane that meandered past a large fallow field, all of which were located at the very edge of a thriving but rustic, diminutive yet sleepy provincial town, snugly surrounded by numerous lofty, jagged, and rocky mountainous peaks, each boldly striding amid smaller, undulating forested foothills. As predicted, the current reality was highly complicated. The man was thin and taller than the red-headed woman standing beside him, who now pointed to a row of houses in the distance, just beyond the grass-filled meadow. The brick one, the redhead said. Only she is there. The boy will arrive later, and her hard-working, self-employed husband will appear just before dinner. The man nodded, but then asked her, What does he do? I've never looked into that aspect. Is he a good businessman? He is, and very innovative, answered his companion. But betting the wrong horse, I'm afraid. His company builds direct current electrical equipment, and in a few years, the area will convert to the newer innovation, alternating current. His firm, while being well-managed, will nevertheless go bankrupt. Ah, I did know that he wants the boy to be an electrical engineer, the man noted. That's why he pushes mathematics so. But she wants him to be a musician. Yet they both love their son and wish for him only what's best in the long run. He turned and stepped to the bench under the old apple tree. Very poetic, he thought, as he sat. Then he smiled at her. We need to have a different future for this youngster, the tall man said, stating the obvious. Now she nodded, understanding the obvious. Much was at stake. Without further words, she crossed through the field, walking towards the town beyond. Soon enough, the lady of the house was shocked to find her on the front doorstep. Visitors at this time of day were highly unusual, for her neighbors were all busy preparing dinner, as she currently was. And this woman was no neighbor. Hello, the redhead said sweetly. I'm Max's friend. Max? said the homeowner, now bewildered as well as surprised. Max comes on Thursdays. Today is only Tuesday. The young woman appeared stunned. A sham performed well. <laughs> oh my, she uttered in a deftly distressed tone. I must have gotten the two days mixed up. I'm so sorry for arriving unannounced. Please forgive me. She awkwardly smiled, then turned to leave. No, wait, cried the woman at the door effectively arresting the redhead's transit. Max is a good friend to us, she noted. And, the lady of the house didn't add, he'd certainly never mentioned such a pretty female acquaintance, either. Highly curious by nature, this determined woman was now very interested, and she wanted details. Please come in, she therefore said, stepping aside. After wiping her hand on her apron, she extended it and shook the visitors. Call me Pauline, she pleasantly added. Dear me, observed the other, continuing her acting. I don't know what to say. 
Max wrote and told me to meet him here, and I thought today. Now I will miss him, and I'm just passing through and won't be here on Thursday. Poor child, said the housewife. Let's go to the kitchen and I'll fetch you some tea. You can tell me all about it as I make dinner. But I cannot possibly intrude and delay you, the young woman answered, still flawlessly playing her part. Oh no, Pauline, I shall be on my way, but thank you. Please just inform Max of my silly confusion regarding the dates. Nonsense, stiffly replied Pauline, who still wished answers. For you shall stay and dine with us, and Max will be the loser, not yourself or my family. True, we all admire him and are pleased for his keen interest in our son, but he's not here today. No matter, for my boys will want to meet a friend of his, regardless. We grew up together in Bavaria, the newcomer soon explained, as she sipped her tea. Our mothers were best friends, and still are. I haven't seen Max since we were children, but his mother suggested a meeting, and he suggested here. And where are you going? asked her hostess, who was now returned to her former culinary duties. My uncle, who is a physicist, lives in Zurich, she explained. And I am his secretary. I've been visiting my mother, but now I'm returning. Travel through Wittenberg was easily arranged, for it sits between Bavaria and Switzerland. Of course, besides the account's quite detailed geography, this entire scenario was totally untrue. And what of your bags? wondered the cook, who was currently engaged in dissecting a chicken. I left them at the station, was the answer. My train leaves at 9.30, so I'm thankful for the dinner invitation, but must apologize again for intruding. Pauline, ever the gracious hostess, once more wished to set the redhead's mind at ease. Yet she didn't, for she hadn't the chance. A curly-topped twelve-year-old boy then rushed into the kitchen, slamming the back porch door behind him. He carried a book bag slung over his shoulder. Stopping abruptly, his large brown eyes opened widely at the sight of the visitor. Ah, Bertie, at last you arrive, stated his mother. We have an unexpected dinner guest. She's a childhood friend of Max. Max Talmay was a university student. After meeting the family, for two years he had been dining weekly with them, and this routine would continue until he graduated three years hence. He planned to become a scientist, and after lending Bertie many books on the subject, the boy now wanted to be one too. Your hair is very red, he said to the pretty stranger. This caused the woman to laugh. The precocious boy then realized he had spoken out of turn. But no matter, he often did. Of course it's not really red, he added. It's not, remarked his amused mother, knowing from experience that she'd enjoy this one. No, he quickly instructed them. It's everything but red, in fact. Her hair absorbs all other colors in the spectrum, but not that one, for it bounces off. That's why everyone sees it as red. But it's not her hair's true color. Not really. So, stated the visitor, still sipping her tea, reality is dependent only on your point of view? Bertie thought this over, but quickly nodded. He then grabbed an apple from a bowl on the table and began slowly twirling it in his hands. Next, still thinking, he smiled. What you should be seeing his mother admonished, is your instrument. You have sufficient time to practice before we eat, and don't spoil your appetite. 
Soon, scratchy scales were emanating from a distant violin. About an hour later, the man of the house finally arrived. During introductions, he insisted the visitor call him by name, Herman. Then, dinner was served. Bertie, how was school today? Herman asked his son, who answered him with, Boring. This observation was ignored. Bertie, he knew, was easily bored. Yet his father also knew the boy did enjoy certain subjects. And how's your math coming? Was the next question. Fine, was the droll reply. But it's getting harder, not easier. Perhaps you should concentrate more on music, observed his mother, seeing an opening to press her preference. Still, her current concern did deal with mathematics. Given the unexpected company, an extra division of chicken had occurred in the dumplings with a proportional and equal addition of dough. But music is also hard for me, Bertie commented, yet all too sadly. Then he laughed aloud, unable to hold his affected, stricken demeanor. Then they all laughed. Is your uncle really a physicist? Bertie asked the newcomer. Yes, she answered. Are you interested in physics? I want to be a scientist, he declared without hesitation. And then he added, Physics is fun, but you need to know math. I'm really not that good with numbers. That's nonsense, scoffed his incredulous father. Your ranking in mathematics is always above excellent. But it's hard for me, the boy said again, seriously this time. Nonsense, Herman repeated. You simply need to apply yourself. I've told you this many times. No one spoke for a moment, and there was an awkward silence. Then Herman asked the dinner guest, Is this not so? Does your uncle not apply himself? And does he not enjoy it, being paid for something he likes to do? All eyes at the table then turned to the red-headed visitor. Here we go, she thought. This was it. Then, she commenced her time-traveling mission in earnest. My uncle in Zurich, she began, is a fine scientist. That means he thinks in a special way, a way he's learned to employ for a purpose. He looks at things differently. But he uses math, asked Herman, not seeing her point. Yes, the woman concurred, but with a reservation. It's true he describes reality using equations and therefore has to be knowledgeable of them, but that's not really his aim. He deals instead with ideas, new ways of describing things, and he can always assign his students to perform the needed math for him. Herman raised his eyebrow at this shocking statement. His wife, not knowing his further reaction, stopped her chewing while waiting to see. The redhead was unfazed. Of course, she added to Bertie, your father is quite correct, for you must become proficient to be a teacher in the first place. Indeed, agreed Herman, now satisfied. With this, the lady of the house commenced her chewing. You never answered my question, Bertie, the redhead next reminded the boy. You say you want to be a scientist. Is not physics a fine branch of science? Yes, but it's been done already, Bertie said to her. The biggest things, I mean. Isaac Newton long ago figured it out, and there's nothing much new to know. Max has loaned me many books on Newton, and they all say as much. 
There are new facts to learn about electricity, dryly observed Herman, who could judge. There's always something more to discover. This will never change. But that's my point, Papa, argued Bertie. All the basic ideas are formed already, with only the details left to unravel. And I want to discover big things, completely new things. Like what? asked his mother. I don't know what you mean. Like gravity, he answered her. Before Newton, no one knew why things fell. They just took it for granted. He changed this outlook, for his equations explained it. Did they? asked the red-headed guest. Perhaps from one point of view at least. But there are other points of view. You agreed with this premise yourself earlier today. This was true. But what was the connection? Bertie wondered. I don't understand, he therefore countered. Thanks to Newton's endeavors, gravity's existence is now quite obvious. What other way is there to look at it? Well, you must describe it differently, she explained. Bertie looked to his father, but... While looking back, the now-amused Herman said nothing. How? finally asked the baffled twelve-year-old. Suppose your neighbor is standing on his roof, she replied. Gravity holds him there, according to Newton. There is a simple equation of his to describe this, yes? Certainly, agreed Bertie. And he also states that an unmoving object remains at rest unless some outside force acts upon it. And there is an equation for that, too. Suppose he steps off the roof, she asked. What occurs then? Why, he falls, said Pauline. Even I know this. But how does he change? The redhead countered her while looking directly at the boy. Describe what happens to him using the terms of physics, I mean. The force of gravity, explained Bertie pulls at his mass until its effect is negated by the ground's mass, and Newton's equations describe this condition also. So, he moves, she probed. Why, of course, laughed Herman. That's a direct observation that anyone may easily see. But there are ever two ways of looking at things, she responded. Your vaulted math elegantly demonstrates this very point. They're called equations because they equate... After this declaration, Herman raised both his eyebrows. Oh, dear, said the woman of the house. You've lost me now. The redhead smiled at her hostess. Pauline, a talented pianist, knew nothing of science. Yet she was intelligent, and the point involved wasn't that ephemeral. It's simple, her guest related. For in any equation, something always equals something else, and each side is just a different way of describing the identical concept. 2 plus 2 equals 3 plus 1. Both are the same thing. Oh, I do see, answered Pauline. Now Herman smiled, his eyebrows no longer raised. Motion is the greater part of physics, is it not? The redhead next asked the curly-headed boy. He nodded, for it was so. Newton's law, she continued, presupposes downward motion, for that's exactly what gravity does. It pulls something down. Yet, it is not also possible to depict the same phenomena, but in a totally different way, from another point of view entirely, simply by supposing instead that no downward motion occurs. How would you then define what happens to the man who steps off his roof? But this is absurd, protested Herman. 
Gravity is real enough. It can be demonstrated. It's demonstrated every day. But she's not saying that gravity isn't real, deduced Bertie, easily understanding her thrust. She's saying that you can describe it differently, that's all. The same example of reality, but from another perspective. That's what she means. Here, the redhead, still smiling, only nodded. How would you do that? asked Pauline, who, although trying her best to follow, was lost once more. Well, said Bertie slowly, reasoning aloud, if the man himself doesn't move to the ground, then the ground must move to him. There's no other way that fits the facts. Precisely, noted the redhead, who now was most satisfied. But what does that mean? asked Herman, currently the one confused. How can the ground rise up? It's fixed in place and clearly doesn't shift its given position. But the earth does move, very much so, she noted. It spins on its axis and flies through its orbit. If we're unaware of this motion, does that mean it doesn't happen? Now, no one spoke. All were considering, all but the redhead. What would it signify? She then almost whispered to the boy. Think of the equation. What would equal what? Well, Bertie ruminated again. On one side, you'd have gravity. That's downward motion. On the other side, you'd have upward motion. That's acceleration, I guess. Yes, she concurred, holding her breath. And that means? Gravity equals acceleration, he quickly pronounced. Very good, Bertie, she observed breathing once more. Then she added, Perhaps equations aren't dull after all. Perchance there are still big things yet to discover. Just as you said, Herman, Pauline smiled at her husband. Yes, noted the boy. This outlook is most interesting. And dinner was most delicious, added the redhead. Thank you all. I'm very pleased that I came. In payment, I'm washing. You certainly will not, announced Pauline. It's a quarter to nine, and we shall walk you to the station. The dishes will wait. No, please, the redhead declared. I've already arranged for a railway porter to come here and fetch me. He should arrive soon. I didn't realize it was so late. As if on cue, there was a knock at the front door. Bertie dutifully stood and went to answer it. Sure enough, a very tall, thin, Uniformed man stood on the porch. Is this the Einstein household? He inquired. It is, Bertie responded. Are you from the train station? I am, replied the man, who wasn't really a railway employee. Are you Herman Einstein's son? I have many acquaintances who work for his electrical firm. This scenario was also untrue, but Bertie didn't know that. Yes, the boy answered. I'm Albert Einstein. The tall man then smiled at him, slowly nodding as he did so. Soon, goodbyes were exchanged on the doorstep. Remember, Bertie, the redhead advised him before she took her leave. Reality can always be defined in many ways. You need only think differently, and so conceive new connections unknown to others. The equations will follow. The Einstein family then watched from the stoop as the redhead and her escort leisurely walked away, and soon they saw them disappear around a nearby corner. Dear me, 
decreed the lady of the house, slowly shaking her head. Our friend Max sure lost out with that one. You did very well, the man said to his partner, as the time travelers walked through the field. I mean it. You handled yourself most professionally. You should be pleasantly relieved. Thanks, the woman responded, pleased that he thought so. Then she asked, Was it really necessary? Would he not have made the proper connection on his own? Perhaps, the tall man mused. It's more than possible. After all, everything's relative, or it will be now at least. Relatively speaking, you mean? She asked. They both laughed at this banter, but neither spoke further. There was no need. At the edge of the field, they turned and walked down the meandering lane, past the old weather-beaten bench still resting under the anciently gnarled apple tree. Poetic indeed. Thank you for listening. We love our listeners, fans, and patrons here at Untold Tales, and we would love to hear from you. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, letting us know what your favorite story has been in our three seasons of storytelling so far. We'd love to continue shaping our podcast with stories that you'd like to hear. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.